Thanks for downloading the weekly podcast from Bridge Christian Fellowship. To find out more, head to www.bridgecf.org. Hello, how are you all doing? Hi. <laughs> Good to see you. Welcome if you're here for the first time. I hope you come back. <laughs> you're very welcome. Uh, we're going to do some prayer ministry at the end of tonight. Uh, we believe in a God that heals. Jesus is the healer. He hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And we love that. He's good all the time. We love giving God the opportunity to show himself strong uh, in us, through us, with us, part of us, alongside us. Kids, uh, that was the last song we sang. Um, song, it's an old song. It's all relatives, isn't it? It's, it's not really that old compared to some of the hymns, ancient and prehistoric, that we sing in churches sometimes. Oh, sorry, ancient and modern. Um, um, <clears throat> it's a lovely song by Grammy Award winning British songwriter Matt Redman. Just a double Grammy Award winning. Very proud of our Matt. He was in our church once. Just like to say, my claim to fame is that Matt Redman was in my worship team. <laughs> he hadn't started writing songs before he met me. I just, I'm not sure if those two things are connected, but I just. And he's won a Grammy. Yeah, yes. I had nothing at all to do with that. But uh, he's a, a lovely man, and uh, he deserves all the rewards that he gets through his music, which has impacted the world. And uh, that is no exaggeration. He is a great songwriter and. That song that we sang, what I have vowed, is, um, is from the book of Jonah, which I'll be getting to at some point this evening. I want to talk to you tonight about the thank you that refuses to be silenced, which is, I think it's a Max Licado phrase. It's so long ago since I, I took hold of that phrase, it's become part of me, and I, I can't actually remember which book I read it in. Uh, but it's a lovely phrase that expresses worship, the thank you that refuses to be silenced. And I specifically want to point towards um, worship that costs something, costly worship. Natalie was actually singing prophetically about the alabaster jar, and we know that story all too well. Jesus said, everywhere the gospel is preached, you will be remembered for what you've done to here today. And here we are 2,000 years later singing about the, the most costly act of physical worship ever done to Jesus. A year's worth of wages poured out as perfumed oil over the saviour of the world. And uh, the disciples are indignant and angry and confused and as usual they didn't really get it. And Jesus said, leave her alone. (laughs) She's doing a wonderful thing to me, preparing me for my burial. Because he he wasn't uh, wrapped up as he, he might well have been as tradition would have it, but in advance he was anointed for his burial in that moment but what she was doing was a thank you that refused to be silenced it was the overflow of our heart she, there wasn't i expect if she had a bigger jar she would have broken that one because of what jesus had done for her and changing her life and uh, so she gave him something that cost her a lot but in the grand scheme of things it wasn't that much but it was appropriate it was an offering pleasing to the Lord that's for sure so I want to talk about that kind of costly worship the, the worship that David says when he, he in my paraphrase I'll not give the Lord that which cost me nothing and um, I get to travel a reasonable amount I've been in all sorts of churches over the years 
and, uh, and I sometimes wonder when we come to the end of a song in corporate worship that, that we, the, the congregation of nothing left to say <laughs> there's a gap in this silence and I think really really is there nothing on our lips to say, is there no gratitude that we can bring, no praise, no offering no overflow of our heart that would give glory to his name I, I think it wouldn't be too hard to just sit and start writing all the things we can be thankful for. And we did a little bit of that last week. I don't know if you remember, those of you here last week, I, I just invited us, before we started worship, as to write down what we were thankful for, just to adjust and, and position our heart before the Lord, before we got into singing songs, which is traditionally the, the way we do worship as a, in a corporate gathering. But we also love all types of creative ways of worshipping. And... Um, there's some examples of that right here. We have a very talented prophetic artist in our church, Tina, who sat at the back. And you can buy her product just here if you'd like to uh, take some of those prints home. They are really quite beautiful. And uh, all of her work has been painted in the presence. In fact, she's um, got a new website that will be launched soon uh, once we've done a little bit of work on it called Presence Art. And um, I think it's really exciting that we get to worship God with everything that we are, with all that we are. And, um, and we love all types of creative expression in Bridge. Um, so I love singing songs. I'm a songwriter and a singer. And I've been worshipping all my Christian life since the age of uh, 16 years old. Uh, I laughingly said I've always wanted to be a musician. Well, I was a, a drummer, at least, when I started that's a, that's a, I got one laugh. That's all I needed. I just, the, the, the guitarist in the, in the room found that funny. <laughs> the drummers in the room are going, <laughs> anyway, um, so back to that thought then, why is it at the end, we come to the end of the song, at the end of the script, and there's silence in the room. There is definitely a time for holy silence, and we had just a, a, a little snapshot of that at the end of the worship time there and uh, while I'm here I'm just reminded of a time Martin and I and I'm not sure if Alex was there that trip or not but we're in Pennsylvania we're doing a worship conference called the Tabernacle of David which is a, a message dear to my heart let there be light and indeed there was a light um, and um, we were singing a song uh, that has the, the phrase in it, I cast my crown down at your feet and I fall at your knees and I worship you, Holy King, my prayer, my life, my offering. It's a similar sentiment to what we were just singing about then. And um, it was quite dramatic. There was a, a, a dancer there. Uh, a man came down. He had a, like a royal cushion with a crown on it and he had it above his head. And he, he, he basically processed on his own, but it felt like there was a lot of people with him when he came down to the front, right in front of me. And then he grabbed this crown and he flung it to the ground, sort of representing what I think goes on with the 24 elders. When they, they don't just gently, I'm just going to, if I was going to put my iPad down, I wouldn't throw it, right? So you imagine a very expensive crown, you, you probably want to just gently, <laughs> but he grabbed hold of the thing and flung it to the ground and then physically threw himself to the floor. And uh, I almost fell over at that point. So I thought, how am I supposed to sing when someone's offering God worship like that? It was extraordinary. And we went from that into this amazing 
time of pin drop, presence of God, holiness of God in the room, and you couldn't hear anyone moving. There was no fidgeting, there was no getting your phones out, there was nothing going on. It was just people in awe of the presence of God, and nobody moved for quite some time. And the whole band were face down on the stage, which is pretty good. Paid to go to America and lie on the floor and do nothing, <laughs> but um, seriously, it was it was a, a quite a stunning time and a, a, a moment in time that actually marked me forever. I think, and um, and there's part of me that still kind of is longing for those moments, just giving room for God to just come in and then touch people, change them, and transform them. And and we're seeing bits of it. We've continued to see bits of it. But it, in that particular time, I really felt led. Then to call some things out, and God gave me some words of knowledge, and and as we called them out, people being healed in the room. There's a young girl in the front row that was struggling to read with dyslexia, and she got healed. And and uh, her mum gave her something to read, and it was the the brochure of the conference. And and she said, I can read that. And the mum said, That's not hard enough because you've been looking at that all weekend. You're probably actually familiar with the words on the page now. So. Okay, good job. Alex is uh, on the case. He's going to provide some audiovisual um, follow-up to what we're doing. There should be a shot of the glory cloud. And um, so she gave her a Bible, and she just cracked it open and started reading. And she said, Mum, I can read all this apart from those things. And her mum said, don't worry about those. those. Nobody can read those names. That's fine. And so she was reading. When she went home, she, um, she prayed for a brother who's also dyslexic, and he got healed. And we saw them the next day at church, and they were just bouncing around. And there are people healed of many different things in that. I can't remember them all. It's one of those times where you, you can't look at Martin, you can't remember them either. You just wish we were better at, um, at writing things down because we need to keep a record of what God does amongst us to give him glory for what he's doing amongst us some remarkable healings in, in one of the, 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 the same nights that we were doing stuff there was a, an old lady that was just riddled with arthritis and we were at a church where you, the, the car park was a lower level and you came up the stairs to what was ground level at street level if you get what I mean so you, at the back of the church you come up and into the church and it took her like 10 minutes to get up the stairs aided by her granddaughter and we're again in one of these, not quite as holy moments, but it was a quite a joyful time. Martin and Matt, who was playing keyboards for us, uh, spent most of that time laughing. And we had to separate them either side of the room because as soon as they looked at each other, they would just... So most of the time, I have got a keyboard to example. Most of the time, Matt was like this, trying to play the keyboard. <laughs> and he got up for one song, and then he was, fell under the power of the Holy Spirit again. And... Um, <sighs> It was just, a, and I said to them, I expected you thought us English people to be very calm and reserved and very. <laughs> we certainly got rid of that um, cliche. And, um, and this lady, it was just aware that God was moving in the room. The presence and the power of God was there to heal. And I just said, well, if you've got pain in your body, stand up. If someone's next to you, put a hand on the person that's got the pain in the body. And we just waited for God. And we said, does anyone feel they're being touched by God? And this lady waved. And I knew nothing of her story at this time. And she came sort of bounding to the front. I think, oh, this, I wonder what's wrong with her. And then she said, well, I crawled into the building, effectively, completely in pain. And it's just like made new. God makes all things new. He certainly made this lady completely new and completely well in a moment of encounter of his presence 
which is just extraordinary. And so we've just had the privilege to see that, experience that, be part of what God's doing. Hey, there's me calling out the words of knowledge. What else have we got? Take a drink while you get some pictures. Uh, can you see the cloud? That wasn't there in, with the naked eye, interestingly enough. Uh, there was no smoke machines in the room. It was a completely clear auditorium in a high school. And uh, uh, well, I just I stood there and took like several pictures as I moved around. And uh, that was quite a moment. Yeah, the guy. Oop, excuse me. He came down that aisle, came to us about here, and then that's where he did this casting himself down before the Lord um, moment. It was extraordinary. Thank you, Jesus. Jose, have you got any more? (laughs) That's my guitarist. (laughs) He wasn't much use for the rest of the night. See, sometimes we just need to let go and let God. And let him do what he's going to do amongst us. Thanks, Alex. That's really cool. (laughs) So, there is a time for holy silence. Uh, But more often than not, I think we actually get a little bit hung up uh, on ourselves and we're a little bit concerned about uh, embarrassing ourselves by doing something over-exuberant, which is fear of man, so stop that. Uh, We worry about what other people think if we exude too much, which is a bit prideful. We worry about drawing attention to ourselves, uh, which is false pride. Um, And... Or actually, some people want to draw attention to themselves, which is pride, and, and robbing the glory of God. Um, well, sometimes we just simply run out of words because our hearts aren't kind of flowing as they might. You know, sometimes we need to remove some of the obstacles from the, the water flowing in our lives. And uh, so the, the gratitude thing is a really important uh, position of our heart, and it's the start of how we enter into worship and we enter his presence with thankfulness and a thankful heart overflows you know I I really believe that we need to be worshippers because God is searching the earth for worshippers he's not searching the earth and looking in the earth for worship Uh, we love to worship because we are grateful for all he's done for us but he's actually searching for us and uh, so we need to be worshippers when nobody's watching so we know what to do when everyone is watching and when the script has run out. The overflow of the heart is so easy when the heart is full, when we're, we've been reading the truth of what's written in the scriptures, when we've waited in his presence, when we've soaked in his glory, when we've just chosen to hang out with him, when we've chosen just to stop even for a few moments maybe switching off the TV so we can recharge our spiritual batteries with the energy of Holy Spirit and worship does cost sometimes because the stuff we go through, the things we face, the experiences of life um, mean it's a struggle and as we read the Psalms any little cursory look at the Psalms will tell you that the writers of the Psalms and especially David, you know, life wasn't just rosy and easy and there were questions and there were struggles and there was pain and there was suffering, there was darkness but there comes a point in that writing where it says but I will remember and yet I will praise and I 
will my soul to praise, wake up my soul and worship. So he commanded himself, so he activated his will to respond to the king of all nations and release something. So um, I want to talk <laughs> at some point this evening about the subject that I've written on my notes. And um, don't worry, I've only got about nine pages tonight. But I probably won't get through much of that. And this might be a two-part talk. So I'm just going to talk until I say something and and hopefully we'll catch the heart of what I believe God wants to say for us about our offering of worship. The, the, the worship that costs something that actually is profound and powerful and brings release and breaks chains and sets people free and brings salvation. So there's a few little Bible stories. We might not get to all of them tonight. But um, David is always a great place to start, and he is a bit of a hero. Um, but just thinking about it for a moment, you know, what would be written on David's epitaph, what's been written about him, there is an awful lot out there. Um, and you only need to look in a few chapters of the Bible to, to get to know him a little bit better. And anyone that's been to Sunday school will know the obvious stories about him slaying a giant and becoming king and those sorts of things. But was he a brilliant man or was he flawed? Was he, well, we know he was a king, but he was also a shepherd boy. Uh, he was an adulterer and a murderer but he was also a charismatic leader uh, how good a father was he we, not much is written about that but he was a warrior and a very successful one and he ushered in a reign of peace that Israel had not seen before and he handed on a legacy to Solomon which is quite extraordinary so he was definitely a forerunner and he was a songwriter and he was a musician and he was a prophet and a poet there's a few of those in the room. Creative worshipper. And it's said that the, the company reflects the character of a CEO. And in the same way, uh, a church maybe reflects the character of its leaders. Um, but there is one phrase that I really think sums up King David best of all, as Samuel spoke about him to Saul. Um, the scripture reference is 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. When we say, there's a man after my own heart, we usually mean there's someone that loves the things that I love, that wants to do the things that I do. And, and God could say that of David. I think actually the, the phrase has a much deeper meaning that we often give it as the lover pursues the beloved with a passionate intensity and total commitment to win the beloved's heart. And that's how David pursued God. He loved God and he loved what God loved. That's really key. David pursued God. And God loved David. And there's amazing things that we could go into, but I just want to go after this costly worship tonight. But the promises over David's line are quite extraordinary. And God promised his family line would rule forever. And Jesus is described from the line of David. So who's ruling? <laughs> God stays true to his promises. That's 2 Samuel 17, by the way. 
And if you love something, you'll do anything for it. And God is searching the earth for those that truly love him. I'd love to talk about the, the incident of Jesus at the woman the well, but it's basically Jesus describing how it's going to be in the future. Real, true, authentic worship. And God is searching the earth for people that love him with that kind of passionate intensity. But when we discover that God is searching for us and we find him, then combustion happens. It really does. Then we become ignited, then we become more passionate, and then we live with a sense of purpose and calling. David was definitely a passionate man, and sometimes that passion got him into trouble. But for over 30 years, we, we, we know about the tabernacle of David, and his passionate of worship, heart of worship did something extraordinary in the earth. He literally pulled forth what was meant for our time into his present time. And we can do that today. What is meant for the future, we can pull into the now by how we live now. What kind of expectancy we have now. What we're, we want to happen now. He was really a forerunner in the whole sphere of worship. And it's interesting that what God has been doing in the last ten years or so in the sphere of worship in different parts of the world. And houses of worship that have been set up 24-7, centres of worship... And, and places where people just love to spend time hosting the presence of God. That is a phrase you are going to hear a lot more of in the next months and years ahead, hosting the presence. People's focus, the church's focus will shift off of that, what they've done before, religious activity, into just camping around the manifest presence of God, which is what we love to do. Our main reason for gathering together corporately is to gather around the presence of God and let God move and speak with us. It's your will be done, not ours. Kingdom of heaven come here in this place in exactly the same way as it is there, let it be here. And uh, that's a done deal as far as we're concerned. We're not arguing about the liturgy here. If God moves, we're going to stop and follow. And we want to just set our sail and see where the wind of the Spirit is blowing. So, God is looking for worshippers. He's not an egotist in need of my affirmation. He is a father looking for his children. He is a father putting orphans back into family again, to be restored again. And those orphan-hearted children receive unconditional love that will challenge and change us and transform us to be sons and daughters of the Most High God. See, when that happens, when we say yes, that's the beginning of the thank you. The thank you that refuses to be silenced. Thank you is worship. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. For he is good and his love endures forever. Let's praise and worship him. Let's offer our thanks to him. Let's <clears throat> praise and pray, give prayer to him at all times. At all types of prayer and petition. There's so many instructions and commands for worship. And yet there are times when, it's, well, I just don't feel like it. <laughs> it's not about feeling. And so much can happen when we gather together. So when we gather, we want to gather with an expectancy and a hunger and with some passion to pour out on God. We come not because what we're going to receive, but we come to give away. 
but there is always divine exchange and that you always get something back because that's the benefit of worshiping with God. And we talked about the lady with the jar when she poured out the perfume on the feet of Jesus, when she poured herself out for him. She left that encounter with Jesus smelling exactly the same because the perfume that was on Jesus was on her. She walked away with the same fragrance. And God talks to us about carrying with us everywhere we go the fragrance of him who sends us. Every time we spend some time with Jesus, his fragrance rubs off on us. You know, anyone that's hugged an old lady will know that when you walk away again, I'm I'm wearing perfume. I wasn't wearing perfume before, but I seem to be wearing it now. No offence to any of the slightly older ladies than me in the room. Please don't take any offence. But some old ladies don't have the best sense of smell, and they might put on a little bit more than is necessary. And so it comes on your clothes and it rubs off, doesn't it? Is anyone with me? Am I just making a fool of myself? Perhaps I'll just stop that line and move on to my next point. <coughs> Should have used a different example next time. <laughs> that didn't work. Um, <laughs> it's true. And <laughs> it's funny because it's true. Um, <laughs> it. When we encounter Jesus, he rubs off on us and that is the point so when we bring our thank you God knows that worship changes us we're coming to pour ourselves out but he knows it's going to change us in the process and so the heart of the saved responds to the saviour the heart of the healed responds to the healer the heart of the delivered responds to the deliverer and that's what flows out And that's why worship changed us. That's why she cracked open that jar and poured the oil over Jesus. Papa knows what we're going to become like when we hang around Jesus. Because we become like that which we behold. You spend enough time looking at something and it will change you. We're very visual. You see things and we can go after them. And so... Come and behold him. Come and behold him, Jesus. Believe that he wants the very best for you. How about saying that out loud? God wants the best for me. And now you can say it like you actually mean it. (laughs) God wants the best for me. And I give you permission to believe it. I really do. And the best for me and the best for you is to be like him. That's the best. It's a glory thing. He's looking for me to become a worshipper because in that place I'm transformed. We're transformed by encounter. You might have heard me say that once or twice in the last 25 years. (laughs) Divine exchange takes place when we're touched by the hand of the Father. He takes away the rubbish and pours in the gold and polishes up us up and peels off the layers, removes everything that is not of him and makes us good. He loves us just the way we are, but he refuses to leave us that way because he wants us to be just like Jesus. And we get transformed from one degree of glory to another. So as we journey with him, we can find a root system of the truth that is embedded in scripture, the silver thread that is written throughout those words of humanity's call and invitation to become more like God. 
to live a Christ-like life, to have the mind of Christ, to live with his heart attitudes, with the compassion of Jesus. That something we wrote to describe what we believe in is very simply this. Bridge at bridge this is what we believe. Anyone that's been here for a while should know this. Anyone that hasn't, this is it. We follow Jesus to become like Jesus, to do the things that Jesus did, and even greater things. You can tag on the end because that's the bar. We follow Jesus to become like Jesus, to do the very thing that Jesus did. I'm on page two. Just thought I'd let you know. It's going really well. (laughs) Who needs notes anyway? (laughs) Right, let's have a little look at David. I love that line where he says, I'll not give the Lord that which costs me nothing. If you want to go to 2 Samuel, it's 2 Samuel chapter 4. We haven't got time to read the whole chapter, so I'll just sum it up for you. It's a chapter of one of David's failures, actually, one of his uh, screw-ups. His insecurity or madness, I'm not sure which, caused him to take a census of the people of Israel against the wishes of God. And he had men around him that saying, David, why are you doing this? But he didn't listen. Joab tried to persuade him, the captain of the guard, David wouldn't change his mind, and he insisted they went ahead and, and counted. And God was not pleased because David was being disobedient and a pestilence was sent as a result of the Lord's wrath and 70,000 people died when David saw what was going on he was undone and he went to God and said please stop they have done nothing to offend you this was my fault let your blame fall on me and my house but don't let it fall on them and the hand of the Lord was stayed And so even in his flawed character, in his nature, David then stood as a forerunner of Jesus and said, don't hurt them, hurt me, let me take the blame. It was my fault. There's so much prophetic depth in these scriptures. It's amazing. So what next? The prophet Gad came to him, gave him instructions to to make an offering to the Lord, to to build an altar. Uh, And so David went to where the angel actually had stopped. It's a threshing floor, and I probably can't pronounce it, I'm not dyslexic. It's Aruna. Uh, Aruna, the guy that owned the threshing floor, when he saw the king there and said, what is it you want to do? And David explained, he said, well, just have it. You're the king, just do what you want with it, it's yours. And David said, no. I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my burnt offerings that cost me nothing at all. So David bought the floor with silver and, and then created the altar and made the sacrifice. I'll not give the Lord that which cost me nothing. And the Lord responded to the plea of David and the plague was averted from Israel. Costly worship means something to God and should mean more to us he could have just said yeah I'm king give me your threshing floor I will make an offering and to me I think if he'd done that it would have been like the offerings of Cain and Abel one was the first fruits and one was a kind of oh that'll do God doesn't like that attitude (laughs) he wants our first fruits he wants the best and that's our heart and our attitude and our response to him our thank you to him should be this is for you first and that should be in in every aspect of our life we give to God first before we do anything else that's especially important with our finances and so 
costly worship means something, it should mean something to us because it certainly means something to God. And there's lots in the Psalms about worshipping God with everything. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus quoted that when was asked, What is the greatest commandment? David wrote, I'll praise you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of your wonderful deeds. He's giving testimony and he's praising God. I will be glad. I will. I'm activating my will. I will be glad and rejoice in you and I'll sing praises of your name. Psalm 138 says, I'll praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will sing your praise. I will bow down towards your holy temple and I'll praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. And so on. God is great. Um, can have a little look at Jonah. I wanted to get there, so we will. What I have vowed. Now, Jonah's not a very long book. You could easily flick through it. It's two pages in my Bible, so it's an easy read. <laughs> so. Why don't you read that for a little bit of homework? Or before you go to bed tonight, it wouldn't take you long. It's a funny story, though, isn't it? And everyone knows the story of Jonah, don't you? Anyone that's been to Sunday school will know of a a guy that's a bit rebellious that gets eaten by a fish. Some people know a song about Jonah, apparently. (laughs) No, 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 I wish you sang it a bit louder so we could have all joined in. (laughs) That's really good. Um, And... God just said, Jonah, go and do this. And he went, nope. <laughs> Absolutely not. I thought it's a fairly simple assignment. But I guess when you look at it in the big picture, it's like, go to another city, tell them you're all very, very naughty, and God's not impressed. I guess if someone was given, go to Eastleigh and tell Eastleigh that they're very naughty, you know, how many of us would um, want to do that and think that we're going to get heard? Um, I'm slightly paraphrasing and simplifying, but um, let me just read a little bit from Jonah 1. And verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, some of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. So I've got that one. And preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the presence of the Lord and headed for Tarshish. I'm not sure why Tarshish was... Tarshish. Sounds like uh, Sean Connery now. (coughs) Tarshish. (laughs) Perhaps I could do it in a short note. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the ferry, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish and to flee from the presence of the Lord. And uh, he obviously didn't know God that well, did he? He hadn't read any of David's Psalms. I'm not sure, you know. Where can I go from your presence? If I go down to the sea, you're there. If I go to the heights, you're there. He he obviously wasn't thinking. It just struck me as being really funny. I know I'll run away from God in a boat. Um, So, God being the loving dad that he is, uh, sent a violent storm to uh, shake Jonah out of his disobedience. So the wind picks up and the waves are crashing into the boat and the sailors are going, we're all going to die. And uh, we know that sailors are a superstitious lot. Um, I'm sure they were then. Especially sailors going to Tarshish. (laughs) 
So they start doing whatever they do, all their superstitious things and praying to their gods and sacrificing and nothing's working and the waves are getting bigger and the wind's getting stronger and, and in the end they think, oh, what about that other bloke on the boat? Perhaps it's his fault. And uh, they go down and he's sleeping below decks. Reminds me of another story. And, um, and say, well, who, who are you and where are you from? And uh, he said, well, I'm, I'm a Hebrew and I, I worship the God of all creation. And they're going, oh yeah. Yes, the, the Lord of the heavens and the earth. And he created the seas. And they go, oh, did he now? <laughs> We're having a bit of trouble with the seas. <laughs> we wonder if it's you that's caused the problem here. So, um, and in a very spiritual way, they cast lots. Hello? <laughs> I'm in a meeting. <laughs> it's really boring. There's some guy going on and on. Sorry. <laughs> Flashback. Please uh, just delete. I'll edit that out of the recording <laughs> later. <laughs> um, sorry. Right, where were we? Jonah in the, in the boat. So the, uh, they cast lots and the lot falls to Jonah. And they go, right, well, it must be you then. Uh, so um, what are we going to do about it? And, and Jonah again has this moment of something where he goes, well, actually, it is my fault. Uh, toss me over the side and everything will be fine. And so they go, we can't do that, but we'll pray about it. So, um, uh, and then they decide that they will throw him over the side because the waves get worse and the wind gets worse. And so they, everyone's probably read the story, but the time it's taken me to explain it. Um, and uh, so they throw him over and the, the sea goes calm. And there's Jonah in the sea going, now what I'm going to do? And a big fish comes and eats him. And um, so that's nice. <laughs> but what's really interesting is that once Jonah had said, sacrifice me and you will be safe, because they tried and tried to row to the land, but the, the, the weather was so bad, the seas were so bad they couldn't do it. But as soon as they threw him over, the seas became calm and they sacrificed to God. <laughs> At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. They made vows to God. So, salvation by drowning? Is that a new strategy we should employ on the way to the Isle of Wight? Throw people over the side? Anyone want to give their lives to Jesus? Do you think it's going to work? I'm not, I'm not convinced, really. Um, and there was no RNLI, apparently, in those days. So, um, the Old Testament equivalent was a big fish. The Lord provided a big fish, or a great fish, to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Okay, just me then. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but I don't particularly like the fragrance of a fish on the outside. And I, and I do know what they smell like on the inside, and it's worse. So, after three days and three nights in the belly of fish, that must have been pretty awful. There you are, covered in salt water, in stomach acid, slowly dissolving. And thinking, I wonder how long I've got left. And so, what do you do? What do you do? And what do you do? You sing a song and make a vow to God. That's what you do. So, in his pit of despair, in the darkness, all alone, sloshing around in the belly of a whale, slowly skin peeling off, and it must have been quite horrible. He 
threw himself into the arms of God. See, there are things in life that throw us, but we get to choose where we fall. So are you going to be thrown, or are you going to be thrown onto the rock? Are you going to be thrown onto the truth? Are you going to be thrown onto hope? Are you going to be thrown onto life? So I'm going to read from chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress I called out to the Lord and he answered me. Has he answered him yet? Or is this a, I'm believing for the answer. Even though I'm here in the belly of the fish, I'm believing God is going to set me free. Prophetic decree. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very hearts of the sea, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. Some hat. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit. Sounds ever so much like David, so I think he probably did read some psalms in the temple. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, my God, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of salvation, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. That's an amazing piece of costly worship. Prophetic decree. Belief in the Lord his Saviour. What I have found, I'll make good. So he's basically saying, God, if you get me out of this mess, I'm going to do it differently. He made a prophetic promise to God. I will look towards your holy temple. And with a song of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. I will do it. I will worship you. Whatever I'm facing now, I will give you what you deserve because you alone are worthy. What I have vowed, I will make good. And in verse 10... God commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That's quite clever as well. And then God asks him again, the beginning of the next chapter. God gave him a second chance. Jonah, go to Nineveh, tell him what I think. He did it this time. I don't know how much skin he had left by then. But in verse 10 it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. God cared enough to send a rebellious man to their city to say, here's a chance. Change the way you think. Change the way you act. 120,000 people were saved because of an act of worship in the belly of a whale. Out of desperation. Out of something that cost him 
It didn't just set him free, it saved the city from destruction. And the, the heart of what he's saying and what he said is so similar to what you read in the heartbeat of the Psalms. And God responds to the beating of our heart. He responds to what's in our hearts. He is a heart reader. He's a heart reader, not a lip reader. We can often say what needs to be said, but it's not always true and it's not always real. But God knows. And out of the overflow of our heart, we speak. Luke 6, verse 45 says this, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Good and evil. They both flow out of a heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. So we're encouraged to guard our heart because it is the wellspring of our life. And Philippians 4 verse 7 says this, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. To have a peace that is beyond understanding, we have to go through things we don't understand. That's when we get it, when we trust. I don't get this, but I trust. I remember what you're like. I remember what you've done before, and I'll trust in you. I'll put my hope in you, even though this doesn't quite make sense at the moment. And I'd like to tell you, God, that I'm not sure if I can actually cope with any more of what's currently going on, just in case you're not aware of how fragile my body is or whatever the prayer is. But I remember you, and I trust in you, and I hope in you, and I put my faith in you and I believe in you and then you've positioned yourself for God to show himself strong in your situation and his peace will be in you Bill Johnson says you have authority over every storm you can sleep through so if you're not stressed about it if you're not worried about it if you're not anxious about it you've got authority over it and you can say peace be still to any storm And what is inside of you, the internal reality that's inside of you, comes out and changes the external reality that you're faced with. And that's what we're here for, to change the situation. I think I'm going to try and land this plane. (laughs) In intimacy is our place of greatest authority. Authority isn't bluster and shouting and whirr. It's actually yielded, submitted, humility. Casting your crown at the feet of Jesus. Falling on your face before him and saying, not my way, but your way. Yahweh. Your way, Yahweh. God wants us to anchor our affections in a world that we cannot see. He wants us to anchor ourselves in the kingdom of heaven. That that reality would be greater to us than what we experience day to day. And then releasing that. He wants us to grow in our affection for him. And in to fear the Lord. I'm sure Jonah 
even though he still had a bit of an attitude problem after Nineveh, we won't go there now, but God still had some work to do. He wasn't a perfect vessel, but he was still used by God, and that's a great thing to know, that we don't have to have it all sorted out to be the deliverer and the saviour and the healer that someone needs. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> you are allowed to celebrate. We actually need to get a bit more Pentecostal, don't we? My friend Will Hart, whenever he starts a meeting, says, can you play with me tonight? Can you pretend to be Pentecostal for an evening and cheer and shout and, and get involved in the preach? <laughs> I should have done that at the beginning. It's too late now. I'm finished, finished now. So. Maybe we'll get... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to write it into the bridge constitution that, that we shall have fun our friends that catch the fire it's written into their constitution to have fun the joy of the Lord is our strength joy of the Lord in his presence is the fullness of joy that's the promise of the presence joy and that's not just a light thing, that's a deep thing joy in the journey joy in the struggles joy even in the pain and the difficulties the ability to laugh at what the enemy is trying to do because he who sits enthroned in heaven laughs he really does so the fear of the God, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and he will reveal himself to us as we position our hearts and position ourselves as we place ourselves at his feet, as we, if I had hair, I would love to wash Jesus' feet with my long hair. But I don't. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about? Getting into that place of intimacy with Jesus, being at his feet. I'm going to finish with a little a vision that I had recently, which absolutely undid me. <laughs> Start crying. <laughs> It's obviously quite powerful still. Um, Jesus really is the healer. And um, I was having some prayer recently. I went for some inner healing. Sozo is just the best thing ever for tidying up the broken pieces of your heart. And uh, every time we got to something and said, so God, what are you showing Alan about this? And we'd talk about it, and then let's just pray about that, break it off. Every time we did it, I was knelt at the foot of the cross. And I could, all I could see was his feet. And from his feet, there were drips of blood coming down and hitting me on the head. And rolling down my forehead and landing on my hands. And, and as they went down my head and mixed with my tears... They washed my hands clean. He who has pure hand, clean hands and a pure heart can ascend the hill of the Lord. And Jesus does that for each one of us. Every time I came to Jesus, he washed me clean. Every time. And he's been doing that tonight. And I just see his feet, knelt at his feet. We bring ourselves to the feet of Jesus. And every precious drop of his blood washes us clean, sets us free heals our broken heart gives us a fresh start makes us new he makes all things new keep your eyes shut if you haven't got them shut already I just want to read something over just let that image of the feet of Jesus and his blood dripping 
onto your head, come to you now, and allow him to wash away any hurt, any pain, any brokenness, and make you even more whole, and more complete, and more of a chosen son or daughter. Knelt at the foot of the cross, your cross, at your feet, whipped and beaten, bloodied and bruised, nailed to the rough-hewn timber, eternity's feet held to the tree by a slither of hand-hammered iron. The unpierceable was pierced, causing the blood of ages to fall to the dry and thirsty earth. Every precious drop cries out for mercy, and all eternity collides in this moment. Who was, and is, and is to come, points to the hope held in every drop of crimson. Mistakes, failures, guilt, shame, and the unforgivable are forgiven and forgotten. Every debt paid in full by the ruby ransom price. Paid for all, for all time. And as I kneel below the feet of this gentle Nazarene, his blood drops onto my forehead, and so he anoints me. He anoints my head in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of Holy Spirit. Drop after drop hits my head and rolls down my anguished face. My Jesus, you did this for me. His blood and my tears flow down onto hands forever washed clean by the greatest act of grace the world has ever seen. He gave himself for me, taking what I deserved so I could get what he deserved. And in that defining moment, my heart is forever pure. Pure and free. And so I stand, stand to embrace the King of glory and lean back and laugh with my smiling Saviour who captivates me with his fiery glory eyes. Just one compassionate glance and my heart is undone. And with a beckoning gesture he says, follow me. follow me so Father I thank you for what you're doing right now I bless what you're doing in this room bless every heart in this place just to receive more more of you Jesus to receive you in that place of blood sacrifice paid in full and paid for all and also to see you glorified, laughing, smiling, rejoicing. Jesus, come. Holy Spirit, come. Bless and touch everyone. You paid the greatest price, your act of worship.
your sacrifice poured out for all of us, Lord. And we honour you and we bless you and we give thanks to you. And we thank you that you make all things new. That you renew, you refresh, you inspire, you encourage, you bless, you release. You set the captives free. Free every captive piece of our heart, Lord, of our thinking, of our understanding, the bits that are still locked in unbelief and doubt and fear. Speak courage to your heart tonight. I bless you to believe. And if you believe, I bless you to believe even more. Even more. Extravagant faith, courage, and boldness are yours in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the Bridge Christian Fellowship podcast. Visit us at www.bridgecf.org.